You are listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Alex Epsuri. This is the second episode of the podcast, which explores the rich relationship between the United States and the Kurdistan region of Iraq. It was a pleasure to interview Joey Hood at the State Department for this episode. Mr. Hood is the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for Near Eastern Affairs and a great American diplomat who is passionate about America's role in the Middle East as a force for good. We talked about the close relations between the U.S. and the Kurdistan region, as well as his family's connection to Operation Provide Comfort in the 1990s and his dream of seeing Lebanon Erbil in American supermarkets. We'll be getting into that in the second half of the episode. But first... We're going to take a quick look at the latest news around the Kurdistan-U.S. relationship. Last episode, we talked about the flurry of high-level meetings happening between the U.S. and the Kurdistan regional government, and the last few weeks have been no different. Prime Minister Barzani was in Munich for the Security Forum in February and met with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. They discussed ways to further expand the strong bilateral relationship between the Kurdistan region and the U.S., particularly regarding the economy. They also agreed that U.S. forces continue to be a vital part of the global coalition and should remain in Iraq to continue to support the ongoing campaign against ISIS terrorists. While in Munich, Prime Minister Barzani also met with Secretary of Defense Mark Esper, Secretary of Energy Dan Brulette, as well as a congressional delegation led by Senator Lindsey Graham. Since the last episode, we've had three noteworthy visits to Kurdistan. Ambassador James Jeffrey, who is the U.S. Special Representative for Syria Engagement and the Special Envoy to the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS, visited Kurdistan to meet with the Prime Minister and President. We also had Senator Jim Inhofe, who's the Chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, as well as Congressman Ralph Abraham, who serves as the co-chair of the Kurdish-American Congressional Caucus. And I saw a great photo of a meeting between Deputy Prime Minister Kubad Talabani and the U.S. Consul General Steve Fagan, both of whom were wearing Kurdish clothes. Here in Washington, Representative Abu Rahman has had a busy month meeting with officials from the White House, Pentagon, and State Department, as well as several members of Congress. The organization Justice for Kurds and the Jackson Institute for Global Affairs hosted an incredible conference called Kurds in Crisis at Yale University in late February. The conference provided a platform for frank, friendly, and off-the-record debate on the U.S.-Kurdistan relationship in the past and looking forward into the future. Among the speakers were Minister Karim Sinjari, Representative Ban Sami Abdurrahman, retired U.S. Army General and former CIA Director David Petraeus, retired American diplomat Brett McGurk, and a number of distinguished experts and former government officials. And finally, coronavirus is the talk of much of the news lately, so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention what's happening in Kurdistan. As I'm recording this, there have been 19 confirmed cases in Kurdistan and one death. Several thousand people who recently returned from Iran are also quarantined. The Karaji is screening all travelers arriving at airports and overland, and there are travel restrictions from people who have recently visited Iran, China, and other affected areas. Karaji's response has been swift and robust, which is really encouraging considering the tremendous strain that Karaji Health Services have been under for the last few years because of the humanitarian crisis. There's been an emergency line set up, um, so if you're in Kurdistan region and you are experiencing some symptoms, you can dial 122. Those symptoms and other resources can be found on the website of the Council of Ministers in English, Kurdish, and Arabic. 
The Prime Minister and relevant authorities are continuously engaged and are taking measures to prevent the virus from spreading further. I was very excited to have interviewed Joey Hood, who is the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs at the U.S. Department of State in Washington. I actually visited him at his office last week, and I asked him a a number of questions, which we'll get to in a minute. Mr. Hood has spent much of his career working in the Middle East, particularly in the Arabian Peninsula. He has served as Deputy Chief of Mission in Iraq and in Kuwait, as well as the Consul General and Principal Officer in Dahran, Saudi Arabia. Prior to these assignments, Mr. Hood was Acting Director of the Office of Iranian Affairs at the U.S. Department of State. Mr. Hood has also served in Riyadh, where he coordinated U.S.-Saudi military cooperation, and in Asmara, where he was a liaison to rebel leaders from Sudan's Darfur region. He has also been assigned to embassies in Yemen and in Qatar. I caught up with Mr. Hood at his office at the State Department on C Street in Washington, D.C. Mr. Hood, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for having me here to your office in the State Department today. Assalamu alaikum and greetings to all of your listeners. I am thrilled to be with you today to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is uh, Iraq and the Kurdistan region of Iraq in particular. So recently, there's been a number of high-level meetings between Kurdish officials and U.S. officials. And I'm thinking about Prime Minister Masrur Barzani's meetings with Secretary of Defense Mark Esper, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Secretary of Energy Dan Brulette, uh, all at the Munich Security Conference. And of course, President Trump with President Echervan. Absolutely. But for a while, these meetings weren't happening. What's changed? Well, it's normal that our level of engagement with our friends and allies around the world would ebb and flow. The United States is responsible for relationships with a couple of hundred countries around the world and subregions as well, uh, sometimes within those countries, such as the Kurdistan region. Uh, and so, but there have been developments in the region, obviously, that have uh, required us to step up the pace of our consultation so that we make sure that we are both working in the same direction to achieve our shared goals. You know, we have a lot of shared goals beyond uh, security, which are well known, but also in encouraging the kind of uh, stability and development that we want to see throughout Iraq, the kind of religious coexistence that we see in the Kurdistan region we would like to see flourishing throughout Iraq, the kind of security on the street that people enjoy, uh, the welcoming uh, atmosphere that uh, we see in uh, the Kurdistan region to American businesses. There are a lot of franchises, a lot of investments that we'd like to see propagated throughout Iraq because this is good for us and it's good for the people of the country. And and how would you describe the relationship between the Kurdistan region and the United States today? We are very proud of our relationship with the people of the Kurdistan region and the Kurdistan regional government. Uh, it's a longstanding one. We have fought together against tyranny, whether that was uh, Saddam Hussein or uh, the scourge of ISIS uh, or nowadays um, you know, uh, Iranian encroachment and malign influence. And so we will continue to fight shoulder to shoulder together against uh, all of these things, as well as uh, the tyranny of corruption and uh, instability that uh, we don't want to see there or anywhere else in the region. And and we've seen um, since October of last year, 
widespread protests throughout Iraq that led to the resignation of the Prime Minister, Adil Abdul Mehdi, the nomination and failure of Mohammed Alawi to form a government, and the recent announcement by Adil Abdul Mehdi that he's going to step back from his position as caretaker Prime Minister. What should Iraqi political leaders be doing in this crisis? And what do you think the U.S. can do to help? Well, what they should be doing is coming together to quickly form a government that will work to put Iraq's interests before any other, including Iran's. When Iraq's government works for the good of its people, then uh, the United States has a lot of tools that we can bring to bear to uh, help. We're the world's largest economy. We can help with critical uh, assistance to uh, reform ministries, provide services to the people. We can encourage investment from American businesses in critical infrastructure and major projects that really only American companies have the technology to do to bring jobs and prosperity to the Iraqi people. And the role of the United States in this government formation is to not pick and choose who the prime minister or the cabinet officials are going to be. That's not a role for any country to be playing, except for the the, uh, people of Iraq. And so uh, we stand ready to help any government that's ready to work for its people, put corruption behind it, and put Iraq's interests ahead of it. Let's, let's focus a little bit on the relationship between Kurdistan and the United States, especially. Kurdistan regional government leaders often say that they want to expand Kurdistan's relationship with the United States so that security is just one aspect of it. And they want to develop stronger political, economic, cultural ties. Beyond military equipment or training or intelligence sharing, what are some of the ways that you think the relationship between the United States and Kurdistan can grow? And are there other non-security related areas that would help make both people safer and more prosperous? Absolutely. And these are things that we've been working on as hard as we can. Uh, You'll recall that in June of last year, uh, we led a uh, business delegation to the Kurdistan region for the first time from the United States for the first time since 2014. We had 50 representatives from uh, 30 different firms and organizations. And in uh, early December, uh, we also, through uh, the U.S. Agency for International Development, hosted the Nineveh Investment Forum in Erbil that included more than 300 guests, including three dozen fund managers, investors, and business executives. That was followed up with more than 38 matchmaking meetings and continues now. I mean, uh, this is exactly what we want to see is people coming back to Iraq, maybe, or people who've never been there before. I was listening to a a friend of mine, uh, Max Primorak, who helped organize this uh, forum, who was telling me that he was bringing Iraqi investors from the United States who had left Iraq decades ago, had never been back. This was their first time, and they were just amazed at what they saw and the opportunities they had in front of them. In addition, I want to mention the Development Finance Corporation, which is a new entity uh, that has taken over from the Overseas Private Investment Corporation uh, that now has a widened ability to help promote uh, American investments in places like Kurdistan region. And it's working hard on that, and we're supporting them. 
Uh, on the cultural and educational side, I'm sure you know that the United States supports uh, every year the American University of Iraq and Suleimania with important funding and other support. We also bring more than 100 students from the uh, Kurdistan region to the United States on our exchange programs. That's in addition to the hundreds more young leaders uh, who have come to the United States from the Kurdistan region through our official exchange programs over the years to learn more about U.S. society, civil society, how the government works, how the judiciary works. These are ties that over the decades are going to yield great benefits for both of our people. Today, around 700,000 displaced people from Iraq remain in the Kurdistan region. And many are from those areas in Nineveh and Kirkuk that are disputed between the Kurdistan regional government and the federal government. And many of those people who are displaced are religious or ethnic minorities. These areas today are being controlled in large part by militia groups, and we have seen ISIS be resurgent in some of those areas as well. And the, the violence there is really preventing, and their presence is really preventing those, those displaced people from returning. What can be done to help provide a safe environment for IDPs to return? Well, uh, first of all, we're very... Uh uh, appreciative of the fact that the Kurdistan region has hosted so many uh, displaced people and refugees also from uh, the conflict in Syria. And we have helped the Kurdistan regional government uh, take care of those people uh, by being the largest donor to humanitarian assistance to Iraq. So if you're in a displaced person camp and you have shelter and you have water and you have medicine, and your children are able to attend some sort of school, it's highly likely that those things were paid for by the American taxpayer. And we really appreciate the uh, great coordination and cooperation we've received from the Kurdistan regional government in providing that assistance. But you're absolutely right. Those people should not remain displaced forever. If that were to happen, that would just be perpetuating the genocide that ISIS tried to uh, visit upon these people by pushing them out of their traditional homelands. The militias absolutely are running mafia-like operations in their traditional homelands, and they've got to be moved out, and we've said this for a very long time. The Iraqi security forces, with the help of the Global Coalition, were capable of defeating ISIS, the worst terrorist scourge the, the world has ever seen. There's no reason why these small militias can't be moved out and the Iraqi security forces can properly provide security for these people to be able to go home there. Uh, there's no excuse for it. We are ready to help uh, in any way that the Iraqi government requests us to, but we can't do it for them. What we have done is to prepare the ground so that when people return, they have water systems that work, electricity that works, hospitals. I visited the hospital in Hamdaniya. It's beautiful. It's bigger and uh, more technologically advanced than it ever was. When I visited last year, 16 babies a day were being born there. They had the most advanced operating theater in, uh, in all of Iraq, thanks to the, the work done that was funded by the United States government. We don't want that to go to waste. We want people to be able to go home and feel that they're living in peace. Prior to the 1990s, there was very little contact between the State Department and the people in Kurdistan. But today, there are robust and growing relationships. What has changed, and how has the State Department adapted to better engage with the KRG and other Kurdish interests over the last three decades? 
Well, I have to delve into history there because in the 1980s for uh, a lot of – obviously Saddam was in power. It was very difficult for uh, diplomats to go to the Kurdistan region. There were periods before that when we didn't even have relations with Iraq because of the difficulty of dealing with the government in Baghdad. And then, of course, after the uh, invasion of Kuwait, uh, we – severed relations again. But then we started with um, Operation Provide Comfort. My brother actually was uh, deployed there in the U.S. Army as a carpenter to help build shelters for people in the hook. And so there began uh, a lot more contact with the people and the officials of uh, the region. And then, of course, after we uh, uh, invaded Iraq in 2000. Three, uh, we were able to later on open a consulate, which has obviously made it much easier to have uh, more contact with the local authorities and with the people all around the region. And we really appreciate how easy it is for us to move around as uh, diplomats and visiting officials. I always looked forward to my visits to Erbil and Suleimania and areas outside in Nineveh that were still under the uh, protection of the uh, Kurdish Peshmerga. And thinking 10, 20 years down the road, from the American perspective, what's the ideal status quo in Iraq and Kurdistan and and the ideal relationship between the United States? Well, you mentioned earlier that people were interested in knowing more about the relationship uh, as it is now and what it could be beyond security, because we, for the past five or six years, of course, have been absolutely focused on the security question because it was an existential issue with ISIS uh, running rampant through the region. But uh, ideally, we want to see tourists and not soldiers We want to see thousands of Americans visiting the Citadel in Erbil, which we have provided uh, a great deal of funding and expertise to help restore. We want to see them visiting the uh, amazing historical religious sites in uh, both in the Kurdistan region and also in the northern part of the Nineveh province. I was just last year around this time in uh, Al-Qosh looking at the work that had been done to restore the tomb of the Prophet Nahum, who was, of course, venerated by Jews, Muslims, and Christians alike. At that time, we had provided a million dollars. We've since provided even more because the work is progressing very, very well, even though it's very painstaking, very careful work that has to be done. And so that's the sort of thing that we want to see. We want to see students at the American University in uh, Suleimania. We want to see businesses all across the region that are importing American goods and that are exporting what is produced in the Kurdistan region to the United States as well, so that we can get to discover maybe uh, Laban Arbil in our supermarkets here. Why not? Hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. I, I really think there's a huge potential for especially agricultural exports from Kurdistan. At the end of every episode, we ask our guests three questions. So here's the first one. When was the first time that you heard about a place called Kurdistan? I'm not entirely certain, but I believe it was on the nightly news uh, when I was a kid because um, when I was growing up, we didn't have internet and we didn't have satellite television. So The uh, nightly news was our main source of information about the world. And I do recall learning about these people who were fighting in Turkey um, because they wanted their freedom. And I I think that's where I first started hearing about the 
largest minority group in the world without its own country or the largest ethnic group without its own country, which I learned were the, the Kurds. What's a word or phrase that sums up Kurdistan for you? Maybe the phrase, the mountains and the Americans are our only friends. Um, I'm from a mountainous region myself, and uh, the first time that I visited, and every time I visited after that, the mountains, just like back home, gave me a sense of peace and security. And uh, I think that the Kurds are right, that uh, in times of trouble, the mountains and the Americans are always what they can count on. And... Because this is the Kurdistan in America podcast, Uh it's only fair that we ask, what's a word or phrase that sums up America for you? Well, I really like the phrase that Secretary Pompeo often uses, which is that America is a force for good in the world. And I think you see that in Iraq more than anywhere else. We are the largest donor, as I said, to humanitarian assistance. We're also the largest donor to demining activities. We are the largest donor to the stabilization projects that are um, implemented by the United Nations. So we have also remained very committed to helping restore the uh, communities that ISIS had targeted for genocide. So I think everywhere you look, we're not perfect. We're not always doing things the right way, but our goals are always for the good. Well, Mr. Hood, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has really been an honor and a pleasure. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. And I hope the next time we talk, we can actually be in Erbil or Suleimania or somewhere nearby. Inshallah. Inshallah. That's all for this episode of Kurdistan in America. We'll be putting out a new episode every month. So stay tuned for more news and interviews. If you would like to be interviewed on the podcast, If you know somebody who you think should be interviewed, or if you just want to drop us a comment, send us a note at kurdistan.in.america at gmail.com. Thanks. God bless America and Herbiji Kurdistan. I'm <laughs> a